Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. My name is Manuel Fede and I'm once again joined by Adrian Sosa. Adrian, you're in France. How's it going there? Yes, I am. I am in France. It is. It's great. This is a little bit of a working vacation and uh, I managed to go to a match. So I have some things to talk about. A little bit of show and tell that I'm bringing to the pod today. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's always cool to have people on location. So I'm really excited to hear your takes on, on various topics. So yeah, but before we before we go there, let me introduce our next host, I guess. Um, Filippo, how's it going? Doing good, Manuel. A little bit of a bittersweet weekend, right? Manchester United winning, Ollie staying, but overall I'm doing pretty good. And I'm actually excited to listen to Adrian's experience at the PSG Lula game. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all are. And to round up our our group of hosts today um, is Josh Deming. Josh, how's it going? I'm doing good. I, I didn't bring anything for show and tell today, but I, I am really excited to hear what uh, Adrian has to say. So it should be pretty cool. Yeah, I think and we need to start with Adrian. Adrian, um, first of all, which games did you go to? So I only went to the one match. I went to PSG versus Lille, which is actually on the day that we arrived in France. So it was a bit of a it was a bit of a grind on that first day, the Friday of last weekend. But um, no, it was it was an incredible experience, and it's a team that we've been covering even on the podcast. I know I've covered them on my channel as well a lot lately. But even on the podcast, we spoke of them and some of the struggles that Pochettino has had. So it was interesting to see in person if all of the worries about this club were true. Um, we need to stop with that, are they? Yeah, well, I mean, in that first half especially, so PSG started with a front line of of Neymar, Messi, and Di Maria, which on paper, you're thinking, this is incredible. This is some of the most blessed attackers we've seen in this century. And it just, it was too slow. It was too laborious in the attack. And sort of the contrast between the two teams, you know, you had Lille with Jonathan David in the attack up there with Barak Yilmaz, with Renato in the midfield sort of spraying passes around. They're looking to attack quickly to get in behind. Whereas PSG, they're very slow in their buildup. They take their time getting up there. And then one of the wing players will, you know, drift inside slowly and they'll try to play a little give and go to get in behind. And it's just, they allow teams to set up defensively before you know before they can even catch them uh by surprise so to speak so it it was interesting to see that that was their route forward and it wasn't until the second half that we saw them start to play a little bit more of a direct type of football and that's when they started to really turn it on because of course they got the the equalizer who threw who other but uh Marquinhos you know they can always rely on Marquinhos for a goal and then uh, Di Maria took the stole the show and uh, got that winner right in the 88th before we talk a bit more about PSG, and, and I know, you know, we, we have people listening in from Canada and, and they, of course, want to know what did you make of Jonathan David? How did, how, did he, how did he look, especially, you know, with the upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Costa Rica and Mexico? I mean, I thought that he looked incredibly sharp. He was, you know, always looking to get in behind the defenders and really make it difficult for Marquinhos and Kimpembe at the back there. He was causing all sorts of headaches. And the fact that he was playing right off of their shoulder, you know, he he looked sharp. He was cutting back. He was making runs all over the pitch. And his finishing wasn't too bad either, obviously, you know, getting the goal there. Um, he's been in great form. And I think in that last international break, we saw him look a little bit off at times. A little bit and then he eventually got a goal against Panama um, but you know he looks much sharper than he did in that last international break and so if he can continue that throughout this week and into the next I think that uh, I think he'll get a few more goals I hope that he gets one against Mexico at least 
Uh, Josh, fellow Canadian, so what do you think of Jonathan David at the moment? I think he's playing incredible. I think uh, I think it was really good and important for him to stay in league on for another season, stay with Lille. We knew that there could be a, a shift in structure with the manager and a couple of key players going out, but I still think the opportunity was there to, to play in a competitive team in a league that clearly in the second half of last season, he was just getting better and better. And he's got some incredible goal scoring records and numbers going on right now in the last well, pretty much since 2021, he's been in incredible form. And even the goal he scored against PSG just kind of shows like the growth in his game where he's able to separate himself just that enough space to find the ability to put the ball in the back of the net. It was a good little run from Yilmez down the left-hand side. He broke away from the defender. He was just able to redirect the ball in, in, a, in a perfect classy striker finish. So I just, I'm really enjoying his game. I hope that he continues it. I hope that he eventually does move a, and earn a move to another club, but he's been really, really impressive. And I, and I can't wait to see what he can do in the international window this month. Yeah, Filippo. No, I was just going to ask you guys, if you guys already thank the United States for Jonathan David yet, since all three of you are Canadians, just wondering. I, I think I go first there. Um, I think there was an opportunity for the United States, right? But uh, having been born in, in New York, having to go back to Haiti and then being accepted by Canada, it's maybe a little bit of a symbol of how the two countries deal with immigrants. That's that's my take from it and integrate those people in, into into our society. Um, but yeah, Adrian, Josh, how do you think feel about that? Maybe Adrian, you first. I mean, I, this is just something that we see all the time. I mean, the USA as well. I mean, every country at this point is notorious for finding dual nationals that they can sign up for their own country. So I don't make much of it. But um, yeah, I think that I think that I agree with your take on how he would feel a little bit of uh, more positive towards Canada for the fact that that was the country that accepted his family back into the country and he grew up in Ottawa, you know, the Iceman of Ottawa, as he's been called in the past. So yeah, you get dual nationals everywhere. Hopefully we can sign a few more. I was hoping that Tamori would be one of them. Yeah, I, I think he just saw a, a better opportunity to um, be more successful. But, you know, whatever, Filippo. Yeah, just, just to wrap up on that Jonathan David section, it's most certainly a position that the U.S. Um, we do have emerging Ricardo Pepe, but he's nowhere near the level of Jonathan David, especially right now. So it is a position the U.S. most certainly could have used in. Congratulations to Canada. You guys probably have the player that might be the best center forward in CONCACAF for the next few years once Raul is out and Antonio just decides to not play for Jamaica again. Uh, maybe my final take on this. I think Canada and the center forward position is so important. When you look at all the top countries in CONCACAF, maybe Canada, that's actually the, the Canada probably has the most depth in that position because it isn't just Jonathan David, isn't it? It's also Kyle Lahren who has been excellent and is probably going to move on to bigger, better things. And I think Ayo Akinola is eventually going to become fit again as well. And Cavallini hasn't been great this year, but you know he, he's still in the playing that position as well. And in a lot of other countries, he'd probably be further up the depth chart. So I think we can be pretty positive about that. But um, I want to want to guide this back to PSG and. Um, both you, Adrian, and, and Filippo as well. But I'm going to go to Adrian first. And Filippo, feel free to jump in uh, at any point. But they are first in the league, right? They have uh, 31 points out of 12 games. 10 wins, one draw, one loss. This should be really positive. But why do I get the sense that it isn't? 
and I mean the latest with is with Messi, then the whole Neymar situation. Um, why do I get the sense that PSG are in a negative position, even though it should be all positive? Yeah, it's one of those ones where you look at how they're doing on the table. You look at how even they're doing in the Champions League as well. All of their matches, they have an excellent record. But when you watch them play, it's I can't think of another word, but it being laborious. They just look laborious in the attack. Now, Messi in this past weekend, he, of course, came into it nursing an injury. So he only played the first 45 minutes and then he went off. But like I was saying, that that attack just isn't... It isn't direct enough, and you could really see that they were missing Kylian Mbappe because once they started to play more direct football with Icardi on the pitch and Di Maria and Neymar really running at those back lines and trying to get in behind, and one of the switches that Pochettino made, actually, which was I thought was interesting, was a double substitution of his fullbacks to bring on Tilo Kerrer and Dagba, or sorry, to bring on Dagba and Nuno Mensch. And those two players are also far more direct and look to combine with the wingers. And that's when they started to look much better. So I think that it's just a matter of, I don't know. I think we talked about this in the past about potentially having too many stars and too many players that are maybe in the same sort of era of their career, that sort of late section, you know, Neymar, I think is 29 or 30, Messi's in his mid thirties, Di Maria's 30, 31, somewhere around there. And they've never really been pace merchants, for example. That's where Mbappe comes in. But now that he's going to be leaving, it's hard to see how this attack is going to work out all the time. So just picking up from where Adrian left there, he pointed out all the many problems the team has. But I think to answer Manuel's question is, your question, Manuel, was why does it just feel wrong, right? They're leading their league. They're qualifying the Champions League. What else do you want? I think it all has to do with expectations, right? When we saw this team get together over the summer, we were expecting this Showtime team. By Showtime, I'm using like a Lakers reference from the 90s. Just a team that puts up a dominant performance, dominates their opponents. Messi dropping goals every game, right? Breaking records like he used to do for Barcelona. But we're not getting that, right? They're getting the results for obvious reasons, right? They're out-talenting their opponents. They're still a pretty good team. We saw this last match against Lille. We also see a Neymar that doesn't look like the happy young Neymar we used to see. And we can talk about Neymar very soon. But back to PSG, it has all to do with expectations. People, when this team got together, this team that looks like they were built by a 12-year-old playing FIFA, we thought it was going to be 3-0, 4-0, just huge performances after huge performances. And that's not what we're getting. But we're getting results. The results are happening. And by we, I don't mean like actually we, because I am not a PSG fan, just to make that clear. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like football manager or FIFA, doesn't it? And I think this is going to be a topic that is going to be with us for a while. I'm pretty sure Filippo can probably talk this entire podcast just about Neymar. But unfortunately, we do need to move on because we have another big chunk of a topic and in a different league. So let's talk about all that coaching reshuffle in the Premier League, guys. And there's a lot going on uh, at the moment. Um, just to recap, before we dive into these topics, Spurs have signed Conte. Uh, Solskjaer survives, you know, essentially getting Espirito Santos fired from Tottenham and getting Tottenham to sign the very guy that was potentially going to replace him. And then Newcastle, um, Newcastle looked like they are in the final stages of signing Unai Emery. So 
let's go through this one at a time. And Filippo, I'm going to go to you first because you are a Man United fan. How disappointed are you that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer beat Tottenham, firing a spirit to Santos and signing the guy that could potentially replace Ole? What do you yeah, make of that? It, it almost feels like we won the battle and lost the war at the same day, right? As a Manchester United fan. So we we we've we talked about this here in the podcast before. It's it's not that Ole's the worst manager of all time. It's just that he can't take this current team we have to the next level. We want to win the Premier League again. We want to fight for a Champions League title, but it doesn't look like Manchester United is going to ever be able to do that under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, right? It doesn't matter how much we spend. Things are still not looking good. And yes, we beat Tottenham 3-0, but clearly they weren't doing very well themselves as they got their manager fired right after that game. And also Cristiano kind of bailed him out of that game as well. So the best way to put it is that we won the battle against Tottenham, but I do think the war was won by Tottenham right there by getting a quality manager, which I actually think Conte is going to do a great job there. Uh, Adrian, going to you next, with what happened that Tottenham with Espirito Santo at, at Tottenham, it seemed always a little bit of an odd appointment in the first place. I mean, he he did well at Wolverhampton. Um, but the fact that they signed him, and Tottenham was a bit of a running joke last summer, right? Because they had so many managers that they lined up and it came close to, and then all of a sudden it was someone else who was linked to them. And they finally did settle, settle on Espirito Santos. Um, but it feel, felt almost always like a second you know, a second choice, a plan B, rather a plan A. And what do you make of his time there? There's not much to make of it, is there, Manuel? It's, uh, it was a bit of a strange choice, I believe. And we're going to have to get someone that's listening to fact check this. We'll fact check it ourselves, but I'm sure someone will be aching to tell us. I think he might have been either the sixth or the seventh choice that they had gone after last summer. So, yeah, I mean, Nuno... He did so well with Wolves in the championship. And how could he not with all of the investment that he got thanks to his friend George Mendes, his agent, uh, who's also sort of part of Wolves in some way, it seems like. Um, not officially, of course. But after that first year in the Premier League, his second season with them, it, it wasn't nearly as good. And it just seems like the type of football that he wants to play, if he doesn't have you know a defense that can absolutely lock out the opposition, which you know Tottenham notoriously hasn't had for quite a while now, then he's going to struggle because it's very much defend and counterattack football. And if your defense isn't great, then you're going to struggle to be being able to attack because you're constantly leaking goals. And even with Tottenham, there's plenty of times where they got shut out 3-0. So even the attack wasn't really firing. So I think that Antonio Conte is the right choice for them. And uh, as Filippo said, and I think that, you know, Nuno just, I, I think he's going to not be appearing in the Premier League for a while now after this. Yeah, Josh, what do you make of the, all of this? I'm just going to kind of play devil's advocate just because I think Tottenham's just such a fascinating story over the last few years with kind of looking like an ambitious club, making it to a Champions League final, having the one season where they lost out to Leicester for the title. But the, the one thing that is constantly consistent with them is the fact that they are under the impression like they don't spend a lot of money, they don't like to invest. A lot of that is on Daniel Levy, but also Joe Lewis, who just is behind the scenes and just for some reason doesn't ever get the finger pointed at him, even though I personally believe a lot of that comes to him. But 
with Antonio Conte, he's got a history and a track record of demanding tons and tons of money. And, and he, the same outcome happens just about every time. So as I mean, I'm not going to lie. Antonio Conte is a huge step up from Nuno. Absolutely. He is, but I'm just very curious to see how this plays out because I think that he's going to get frustrated very soon. I think that this Tottenham club is average at best in the Prem. I think Europa League football is where you're looking. And I'm just curious to see what this type of Antonio Conte is going to bring to Tottenham and if he can take them to the next level because I'm just assuming it's going to be a lot more frustration than it is going to be success. Yeah, it's definitely one of those ones where you could see it going either way, right? It could very well blow up. There's always a chance of that. But you would assume that Levy and the rest of Tottenham understand what they're getting themselves into here because they certainly had extensive talks with him last summer. And now that they're desperate, they must have given it a bit of a, a bit of a think of, you know, what they will have to give Antonio Conte in order to convince him you know, that being massive transfer demands, etc. I think that maybe the Harry Kane situation was playing on that decision a little bit, because if you look at it from Conte's perspective, if he's not going to get budget and he's also going to lose Harry Kane, that's not a very attractive job to take on. But in his in his press release today, he said, quote, I am extremely happy to return to coaching and to do so at a Premier League club that has the ambition to be a protagonist again. So he'll be incredibly demanding of Levy and Peratici. Um, and just as Josh said, you know, it could blow up by January or something like that. And uh, But at the same time, I think that there is a good enough squad here to play that 3-5-2 that he likes to play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm going to be watching it with a keen interest for sure. I, I am too. And I absolutely agree. The, the one big thing is like, this is, this is an ambitious signing. If you're a Tottenham supporter, you have to be excited. I mean, I mean, look at Filippo. He, he's, he's somewhat angry that, 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 that man, Antonio Conte, who's achieved so much, especially at Inter last year is coming over to take over Tottenham. They just, it just can't get over my mind looking at what happened with Mourinho going there and, remember the excitement when I mean, we got to see it in an Amazon documentary, how excited Mourinho was. And, and it was, it was all just happiness. And then it just quickly turned. And, and I just, I, I know we know how Mourinho can be, but we also know how, how Antonio Conte can be. And I just think it's going to be very curious because I, I kind of hope that he has success because I do like Antonio Conte. I just feel like there's clearly something that is going on behind the scenes with Tottenham, which is why they have this managerial turnover. And I just don't know if the personality from Conte will be able to uh, take them to the next level. Yeah, and I'd agree with that, Josh. I think that I think that the Tottenham job is going to be very unattractive to future managers if it is that Mourinho goes there, he has disagreements with Levy or who what have you, and and that sort of hope fades. They bring in Nuno, he's sacked within what was it, fourteen matches or something like that, eighteen matches, I think it was, and then they bring in Antonio Conte, a guy who guarantees success for the most part, and if he isn't able to get it done, then I think that this is. This is going to be a very difficult situation for Tottenham going forward and attracting another manager. It feels a little bit like Mourinho 2.0 to me. Um, I felt that way about Manchester United as well. It seems like that a lot of these Premier League teams are recycling these big names that have worked and had success. And um, but you know, <laughs> a lot of these Chelsea names that seem to be getting recycled. I think Tottenham has. This is now the, the third guy that Tottenham have signed who's previously worked at Chelsea, um, right? Villas-Boas, Mourinho, and now Conte. And it seems like Hotnam almost recycled these guys. And um, a lot of the other Premier League teams do too. Manchester United is a culprit of this as well. So I'm not sure. I, I, I think it doesn't inspire me. It seems a little bit manufactured. And, um, 
you know, a big name signing. Cesar tweeted today that all these big name head coaches are now in the Premier League. I mean, that's true. But are they actually good managers? Are they the right managers for this job? And I don't want to say Conte isn't, but Conte is a guy who has worked out, but has also utterly failed in, in some of his jobs. So curious to see how which way this is going to go. I'm also curious to see where this next guy is going to go because this feels very much the same category for me. If And it seems like it is in the final stages um, of becoming becoming very much the case that Uma Emery is now taking over Newcastle United, who I think is just another recycled manager in the Premier League, you know, taking out of his habitat where he's done very well in Spain. And now is getting another deep dive into a league that doesn't always have the best structure overall, even though it has the most money. And um, taking over a club that is begging for a revival and I'm by no before we go on. I mean, by no means do I condone the Saudi takeover. I actually think that a lot of Newcastle and United fans need to look in the mirror and really think of where that money is coming from and what it means in the grand scheme of things in football. And by no means are they the only culprits. There's lots of other teams that have taken the same kind of blood money. But here we are. Uh, Uno Emery is put in charge of taking over this club instead of Paulo Fonseca, who I actually thought would have been a creative choice. And Filippo. Una Emery to Newcastle. What do you think? Well, we remember how it went with Arsenal, right? And But then again, Arsenal is just a complete mess. We don't know if Newcastle will have it structured. We don't know what's going to happen in Newcastle. Clearly, the team is not good right now. It's more of a relegation team than anything. They need to find a way to stay in the Premier League this season, essentially, so they can pour in all the money, which I, I agree with what you said also as well about the takeover. Um, I'm okay with it. I don't think okay would be the right word, but that's their problem. That's essentially what I'm saying. Um, and in regards to him taking over, he's done a good job at Villarreal, right? Last season, winning the Europa League against Manchester United with not that many resources, I would say. It's not a rich team by any means, working with what he has. We'll see. He's going to try to make a return to Premier League. Um, I don't know what to think about Newcastle right now. I really don't. Yeah, Adrian, Josh, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, for 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 me, I guess uh, I mean I agree with you. Uh, I would have went with Paulo Fonseca. I think he would have been the the creative choice. But uh, when when you said like what what can really be done right now? I mean, Newcastle sitting in nineteenth place, playing some terrible football, zero wins after ten games. There's a decent chance that they could get relegated. There's no guaranteeing that Unai Emery with all his, and I do put it in, in quotations because, I mean, he was, in my opinion, has been a very successful manager in Spain. But other, other words, I mean, I don't think he did all that good of a job at PSG. And I, I, don't, I think he was quite poor at Arsenal. So it's not like you're bringing in someone who's got a proven track record to know what they're doing in the Premier League. I think that this is kind of a panic buy just to get a flashy-ish name into the job right now and try to get them into a mid-table finish. I don't think it's that simple. I think whoever comes in will have a real real opportunity to, to try to make a difference, but there's a good chance this side could get relegated. Yeah, Adrian, four points out of 10 from the first 10 games. Um, the gap to a non-relegation spot is six points already. It's going to be a pretty tough job for Umay. Yeah, it really is going to be a difficult time for Mr. Emery. And, you know, there was all those strong rumors linking Fonseca. Then that shifted to Lucien Favre very briefly, then to Gattuso, and now it's back to Unai Emery. So, I mean... Perhaps what he's been able to achieve at a continental level is what attracts them to him. Four Europa League titles is obviously nothing to sneeze at. I don't think that anyone's really arguing that Unai Emery is a is a poor manager. But 
But I wouldn't be surprised if Amanda Staveley and the club are having a very difficult time actually convincing these managers to join them. Because like you just said, Manu, they're in a dire situation, four points from 10 matches. And their schedule, just looking at their schedule, it doesn't get any easier. I don't see any very winnable matches for them until about January or so, early January. So I think a lot of managers are looking at it and they're sort of thinking, What's the point? If this is a team that is doomed for the championship, why would I sign on now? I'm not very interested in playing that whole go back down and come back up sort of situation like who we just spoke about, Mr. Nuno Espirito Santo did. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I thought that Fonseca would have been the better choice as well, but Unai Emery looks like it might be the guy. Yeah, my final my final take on Newcastle is that <clears throat> It, the investment needed to turn a club into a big club, and the money is obviously there. You know, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of euros that the Saudi investment fund has available. And please don't come at me to say that they're not involved. One hundred percent, that's their club now. It's a Saudi club. And um, but the thing is, and we've seen this with City in the early years. We've seen it with PSG now for many years. You can't just go and dump a bunch of money into a club and hope for the best. The, the upcoming transfer window, and you know anyone who follows me knows that I work for Transfermarkt. I have a very good handle on this kind of stuff. The, the January window is extremely difficult to navigate. You're not going to get any big names in that window. Big players don't move in January. Point. End of story. That's how it is. So what you're going to get is essentially... A lot of teams are going to milk Newcastle United in January for mid, mid-table stars. And that's that's the reality of it. And I'm not sure you can actually find the right assets to turn this team around. I mean, that's my take on it. Maybe, Filippo, maybe you think a little bit differently about it. No, no, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I was just going to point out that what they're going to have to try to do, if they want to get quality names, they're going to have to look for players that are quality, that are maybe unfairly not playing. And a great example, for example, is Donny van de Beek, right? They could mm-hmm. possibly get a player like that considering Manchester United for but whatever that's reason. That's yeah. very hard to convince a guy like that to go from United to Newcastle. He wants to leave, though, uh, Manchester yeah. United. So th- that Newcastle has that going for them. But definitely if Ajax shows up for a loan or something, that would definitely be his preference. But that's essentially what Newcastle is going to have to go after. And they need to get at least three, four, five pieces if they can because they are they are in serious risk of getting relegated. And that would be a waste of a season for all these new investors and whoever they get to manage them whatsoever. Yeah, I think my... my... I just think that it's going to be very hard to convince players to go there. And then plus, any club in the world now knows that you're rich. So what are you going to do? You're going to milk that team for resources. Happened with City, happened with PSG, happened with Chelsea as well in the beginning, right? It, It takes time. The NBA is back and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. So why not make your roster Washington, 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 and, oh yeah, Washington. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. 
Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But yeah, guys, uh, let's move on to our next one. And uh, Josh, you probably be you were probably very happy to see this. I, I mean, I, I thought I would never see that. Um, going, looking back now to last week, the DFB Pokal, the German Cup, and Bayern Munich, and then we have to always line up before go into this. Those who don't know the German Cup, Germany only has one cup competition, and the big teams take the cup extremely serious in Germany because there's serious money involved. It isn't like in England where there's two cup competitions, right? And uh, the Dave Bebukal is is a big trophy there. And Bayern Munich are a team that take this competition very serious, and the lineup that they put out against Gladbach underlined this much. But Josh, 5 0. Gladbach smashed Bayern Munich 5-0. <laughs> Bayern Munich's biggest defeat in the club history in 43 years. The, the, the Going back to 1978 when they lost 7-1 to Fortuna Düsseldorf. It's actually in that season they lost twice 7-1, uh, believe it or not. But yeah, what a crazy result. And then, of course, I watched the game on Saturday against Union Berlin where I thought... Um, they outscored the outsc- they scored themselves out of trouble because Union pretty much used the blueprint that Gladbach provided us and put a lot gave them a lot of trouble. But this is the sort of result where you look at it and say that's pretty good news for German football, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to do the watch along on it. I uh, I, I wanted I like co- I like covering some of those bigger games. I mean, this is an early Pokal matchup between two heavy hitters and I just I was very curious I love to watch the game and I was just blown away at, at what I saw and, and I was blown away for a couple of reasons I mean one if you follow the Bundesliga in any way you know that I mean Bayern are heavy favorites pretty much for every competition they're on their potentially track to win 10, 10 titles in a row they are always successful in the Pokal and on top of that last season was one of those kind of surprise results where they got knocked out against second division side Holstein Kiel in a shootout which kind of blew me away at the time and then to not only know that last season they they lost it very very early which is very unprecedented for them but then to do it again in the exact same round and then do it against Gladbach which if it was a one nothing or 2-1 kind of game you'd be like all right like it, it it is what it is but they got absolutely ran over Gladbach came and showed up to play they knew exactly what they wanted to do they had an excellent game plan and they were deserving winners they were critical in front of goal and and actually, when I say that critical in front of goal, they, they actually had a few other chances. Embolo could have probably had a hat trick and, and maybe more with the amount of chances that they were getting. That that back line for, for Bayern just looked so lackluster. It was one of the worst defending performances I've ever seen Bayern do it since I've been alive. And it was just, it was just shocking. So, I mean, Davies, man, I'm sorry for it. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad, my fellow Canadian, but as a, as a Bundesliga supporter, as a Dortmund supporter, it's beautiful to see because now this competition's wide open again and and right now, probably you'd say Dortmund are favorites to win it. Yeah, I mean, it begs the question, right? Uh, and I, I've already I spoken great lengths about this and on the Gegen Pressing podcast. So if you want a bigger discussion on this, and I think we, we want to do something bigger on this show about this as well, is in the Dave Pepokal, 
Bayern, it's, it's still the dominant team, right? Out of the last 20 DFB Pokals, they have won 10, right? But we have had years where they didn't win it two times in a row. We have all sorts of winners. Nuremberg won it. Frankfurt won it, right? It, it is a lot of variety in the DFB Pokal, which makes it a really interesting competition. It's probably why the DFB Pokal is so big in German football, because it gives other teams a chance to win. And that actually kind of opens that can of worms is like maybe we need a sort of, of a knockout stage competition to decide the German championship as well right Josh I mean that that is something that we've kind of thought about before um, maybe a playoff could be the solution to make German football a bit more interesting what is your take on that I mean, I'm all for it. I, I, I we, you know, I've kind of behind the scenes talked whether it's a realistic, whether we think that fans will or will not like it. But I mean, yeah, I, this, this is what makes the poke all and, and cup matches so fun is Bayern are so consistent. You can never take that away from them. It's going to be very hard. I mean, Dortmund right now are one point behind them, but give it the 34 games. It, it, realistically, it, it could be 10 points. It could be more than that. Bayern has won the league several times by plenty of points and it just kind of, did not get interested. But if you knew that the top four, I mean, the four Champions League sides maybe went into like a, a semis and then finals, you have one game and then you, I mean, it, it's interesting because it, it makes it so possible for any any of the other big clubs in the Bundesliga to take out Bayern, like Gladbach did right here. Or you can do that. Like, well, it's not fair. I, I, there's a few different points to it, but I think if the way that the Bundesliga is going, this could be something they should look at because if Bayern win 10 in a row, I mean, with the money that goes into that, club and then the, the proper of the way that they run it it's hard to see when that streak could potentially end so i mean as an as a fan of of the league i something that would definitely intrigue me yeah adrian a uh, couple questions for you first of all how much hope does this result give you as a benfica fan against bayern and secondly um what is your take on playoffs because the bundesliga isn't the only league that has very much you know cemented itself in its structure it's it's pretty much a problem that all the major leagues are facing, including, you know, more increasingly the Premier League. So is playoffs a way out to make European football more interesting again? Well, first of all, as we record this, we are hours away from Benfica facing Bayern at the Allianz Arena. And I am not exactly looking forward to it because there's nothing I would like less than for Benfica to face a aggravated and angry Bayern side that's looking to redeem themselves, although they have done so since, of course. Um, but as far as playoffs go, no, I think that I think that the whole attraction of cup tournaments is the fact that it's a one-off and there's a chance, you know, you put Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayern Munich up against each other head-to-head, and if you take from 10 matches that Bayern's going to win, you know, seven or eight, let's say, this is exactly what we saw is of those, you know, two or three times that Bruce Mönchengladbach would beat them. That's what we saw in the cup. And, you know, you always hear people talk about the magic of the FA Cup. And it's that same reason. Everyone enjoys it. Everyone enjoys the cup competitions for this reason. You see these small clubs, quote unquote, not to be disrespectful to any of those clubs that make deep runs, but they make these deep runs and there's a magic about them. Um, I think that it's something that should absolutely be considered in more leagues, especially, you know, even speaking of Benfica, look at the Portuguese league. This is a league that's only ever had four different champions throughout its entire history. Benfica, Porto, Sporting and Boa Vista, maybe five. I think Belenense has won the one in there as well. So that's something else that I'll need to fact check myself on. But all of these leagues that have gone stale a little bit, you know, the Serie A just recently had the Juventus monopoly broken. 
it needs to be considered more often because this is where you get the fun out of football again. Yeah, Philippe, what do you think? So I think for starters, the result is overall positive for soccer in general, right? You always want to see these giants and dominance and, and Bayern, I think not even debatably, they've been the most dominant team ever when it comes to league, especially in the past decade. I mean, it's unquestionable. Now, it's definitely positive. I, I wanted us to try to touch upon this whole balance of leagues eventually. And I'm sorry that I'm going a little bit off topic because I think it'll be an interesting topic to compare a few leagues in the world, right? And how they use different methods and how some of them stay balanced, some of them don't. I think Bundesliga does do a good job on keeping its teams balanced, except for Bayern overall. And then we can talk a little bit about the Brazilian League and then Premier League, which to me is probably... It's the league, one of the leagues I watch the most, one of the messiest leagues. But overall, just answering that question that you said, it's definitely a positive for, for soccer in general or football for any of the international viewers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, definitely. I think we need to probably have a show dedicated to just that topic. And um, it is an interesting one. So if you have thoughts on it, please feel free. Send us comments, etc. Uh, be interesting to hear other people's takes on it. And it is, it is a one that is pretty controversial, right, Philippe? I mean, lots of people will have different opinions on this. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting topic, and I think it the the so the diversity of league watching that we have here, right? From what we watch, I'm I'm very involved with South America. We're all involved with North America, Europe, each one of different coverages. I think it's going to be a fun discussion, an interesting one, right? Because you have leagues that operate like MLS. Then you have a league like the Brazilian league that the clubs are very owned by the fans and there's balance and imbalance. Then you have Bundesliga. Then you compare the premier league. I think it is a great episode we can do eventually here and everyone bringing different knowledge. It can almost be somewhat of a debate where we can try to figure out what are the goods and the bads of each league. And it could even be a discussion of what would we consider a perfect system for for soccer or football in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I'm glad you're actually touching on this because it gives me a nice transition to our next topic. But I definitely think that in North America, they do, I'm not saying it's perfect because there's a lot of flaws as well, but I think they're doing a lot of things right in terms of providing an experience in which where you can follow any league, whether it's, um, I mean, there's three Canadians on the show, so NHL, um, right? The hockey or whether it's the NBA, whether it's NFL or some people might even watch baseball whether it's major league baseball, all these leagues have a salary cap in one form or another. And they're all like, yes, they're closed league, which I don't like closed leagues. I like promotion and relegation, but um, they provide sort of a structure where the members of a league all have a chance to win, you know, or eventually have a chance to win. Yes. There's some years where there's dire years and then there's some good years, but essentially any, any team that plays in any of those given leagues has a shot to win. And I think that is something that I like. But guys, that gives me a perfect transition to our last topic. Um, decision day in Major League Soccer is almost here. We have, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, there's one big game today um, between Los Angeles FC and Vancouver Whitecaps. My Vancouver Whitecaps, a team that I cover quite a bit. Um, Whitecaps win this game. They are in the playoffs. Um, believe it or not, no one knows how it happened because, you know, a few 
just a few months ago, I covered them here against Pacific FC in Victoria, and they were knocked out of the Canadian Championship by a lower division team, much like Bayern, I guess, um, in a very surprising result. But the Whitecaps can clinch a playoff spot today, or they can clinch one on the final day uh, when they play the Seattle Sounders, who have already clinched a playoff spot. And um, But unfortunately for the Whitecaps, need to win this game because if they don't, they don't finish first in the West and you want to finish first in the West. But in the East, uh, Filippo, you have a pretty bit of a better handle on the on the Eastern Conference because where you are based in Orlando and you work with Orlando, what is the status over there? So the East, the playoffs are almost all set at this point. Tomorrow we have a pretty big game. Atlanta United and New York Red Bulls will face each other. So whoever wins that matchup tomorrow between Atlanta and New York Red Bulls will also guarantee a spot in the playoffs. Whoever doesn't win or if it's a draw, they're going to have to battle, battle, battle it out on the last round, which is decision day. I believe it's Sunday, right? Decision day. And then That's the correct, other teams yes. that will... Sorry, what? That's correct. Yes, it's Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. So the, so essentially they would be battling out the final spot with DC United and the former, the current champions, Columbus Crew, which they could get eliminated tomorrow. If um, New York Red Bulls win, they're pretty much out. So that's interesting. Everything else in the, the East is pretty much set. New England completely dominated and won the Supporter Shield. Anyone from Europe that doesn't know Supporter Shield is essentially the point title, right? The league title. And we're getting to the part of MLS, which, in my personal opinion, is what makes MLS a fun league to watch. It's the playoffs. I think that's something that, uh, I, like you said, I'm also for promotion relegation. But I think one thing MLS gets it right is the playoffs. Yeah, the playoffs are very much a lot of fun. I enjoy, I enjoy them every year. Of course, I keep a close handle on it. And I have to also intersect that. Um, because I get this asked a lot. Now with the regular season done, we've actually started a process of uh, updating the market values for MLS um, because we do this for the regular season because playoffs is such a wild thing, right? I mean, last year, Philadelphia Union were the most dominant team in the league and they got knocked out in the first round. Yeah. And this this seems to be happening a lot. I mean, uh, New England Revolution this year set a points record. And, um, you know, Josh, Tajan Buchanan, one of the players to watch. This is this is his final go at winning a title here over here in North America because he's heading over to Club Rouge in January. Um, probably one of the players to keep an eye on for these playoffs, isn't he? Absolutely, he is. I mean, the the Revs have been incredible, uh, and like you guys just pointed out, they have seventy three points. The next highest in the league is fifty nine. So when we say that they destroyed the league, they absolutely destroyed the league. But I mean. I kind of low-key want, if it's not the, the Caps, I kind of want New England to take it out just so it'd be a nice, beautiful goodbye for Tejan, who just won the Supporters' Shield, the MLS, MLS Cup, can then head over to uh, to Club Rouge and potentially play some European football as well and go for titles over there. But uh, it, it's the, like you said, it's the fun thing that happens with, with playoffs is, in my opinion, I bet you New England doesn't win it because it just seems that's how it is. It doesn't matter how dominant you are throughout the season. Playoffs is a different animal. Teams step up, take their games to another level, and it's what makes this competition so much fun. And, and I'm really excited to see uh, basically what happens and hoping a couple Canadians can get uh, their hands on some silverware. Yeah, the playoffs kick off on November 20th. Philip, who are your favorites and teams to watch out for in the playoffs? So... Just to add one thing, since since you guys want Canadians to win, why not cheer for Orlando? We got Akindeli there. You guys can cheer for Tesho Akindeli. <laughs> okay, jokes aside, 
Um, obviously, um, Orlando City, I'm going to be cheering for them throughout the playoffs. A team I always watch out for in the playoffs is the Sounders, for obvious reasons. Anyone that follows MLS knows to not underestimate the Sounders. Now, a team I'm interested to see throughout the playoffs here, essentially, and I'm going to talk more about the East that I follow it a little bit more. I kind of want to see the New York Red Bulls make it. I don't like I don't like personally the way they play, right? Under Struber right now, their current coach, they like to play a lot of kickball and poor pressing system as well. But it seems like Caden Clark has been picking up decent form. Last game, he played a little bit better, and maybe he can pick up the same form as early in the season. And for many that don't know, Caden Clark does have a contract with RB Leipzig and will be heading there in January. Maybe he'll get a loan, but regardless, if he's a player that Leipzig scouted, there's something special there, right? So I'm looking forward to see how Caden Clark would do picking up form for the MLS playoffs. So I'll be following more the East, and we'll see how it goes. I, I don't think Orlando will do that well in the playoffs. We haven't been playing very well, but I'll be watching closely those two teams and in the West a little bit more of the Sounders, and I'll be cheering for my Canadian fellow mates right there because of you guys Caden <laughs> uh, Clark definitely want to watch he's heading to Leipzig and um, Gerhard Struber of course we had an interview with him on Transfermarkt because um, I've definitely been aware of some of the criticism as well and he does answer some of these things Filippo which is really interesting so if you're interested in reading a little bit about Gerhard Struber and of course Gerhard Struber's opinion on Caden um, Clark I think that's a quite an interesting read. But Caden uh, is one to watch, right, Filippo? I think that's one of the players that a lot of people in the league want to watch. Absolutely. And um, actually, I did not know you had that interview. So please send it to me. I did not know that. Yeah, absolutely. And Josh, I think Caden, because of his Leipzig move, is a Korean player you're going to keep an eye on as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Any young young American who's got that that look and got that move to go over to uh, to Europe is one to be excited. One similar to Tejan Buchanan, except Caden's a little little more raw, in my opinion, has a has a big ceiling as well. But the playoffs is, is gonna give these young kids an opportunity to shine. A couple of the two big ones in my eyes that I'm just gonna be thinking I'm gonna have a low key opportunity. As I, I think Pineda's done such a good good job at Atlanta United since he took over and. And of course, Seattle, just because, in my opinion, the most consistent teams, those are, are the two I'm keeping an eye on. But my hopes is Vancouver Whitecaps and uh, New England Revolution to, to take it. But we'll have to see. And I'm excited to uh, to watch the playoffs when they begin. Yeah, maybe my final take to wrap the show up, um, because I do cover the Whitecaps quite closely. I am not quite as optimistic as you are, Josh. Um, essentially, especially now with the, the scandal that just came out, right? Or like the latest round of that scandal, because this has been brewing for quite some time. And Again, if we go into deep into this, then we probably would have to spend an entire episode on it. There's, there's a lot of good content out there, but including by writers like J.G. Adams from the province who, who's covered the uh, sex harassment scandal from the Dubai Cups were deeply involved. In it. And it's going deeply into Canadian football and American football as well because of the people that were involved at the time, right? Um, a, a similar way to what's going on with the Blackhawks in the NHL. So um, there's lots of material out there. Go check it out. And it's important too, right? Um, but the Whitecaps, I, I think because of that scandal, I think it's it's going to they, they're facing some difficulties. They have to win today. I think if they win, don't win today, the Sounders are a very difficult opponent. Um, they're, in my opinion, the best-run team in Major League Soccer and have been for years under Brian Schmetzer and so very consistent. And I think that they are, regardless of their point total or the current form, which hasn't been great going into the playoffs, they, they will be a force to be reckoned with. And uh, I think that's going to be 
the team to watch and i think probably one of the favorites unless you know um there's you never know i guess playoffs are playoffs and a lot can happen but i i think filippo you have one final point before we wrap this up it's actually one for everyone. Since we talked about the playoffs, we don't know all the teams that will be there, but we do know, I think, roughly 80% of the teams that are there. And the ones that haven't made it are likely not the favorites, for sure. So let's want to wanna play a quick game and just say, who do we think are going to win the MLS Cup this season? Yeah, and I'll go first. I say the Sounders. I'll go second. And as as easy as this is going to sound, I'm going to say New England's going to take it. I, I agree with Josh. It does seem like sometimes the best team during the Supporter Shield, right? The ones that win the Supporter Shield don't tend to do well sometimes in the playoffs. But it's not past results and not an indication of future outcomes. And New England has just been way above everyone this season. I'm going with the Revolution. What do you think, Josh? You put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to come come back on my point and be like, yeah, I'm going to back the, back the Revs. But... All right, I'll, I'll go a little outside. I'm going to go Nashville. Why not? I think Nashville's been pretty consistent all season long. I think that after knocking out TFC, maybe they got that little bit of edge that they need. And, you know, just to be different, I'll go Nashville. All right, I'm going to put someone on the spot here, guys. Who we haven't heard from in a while, and I know he doesn't really watch this league, but he will have to because this is a North American podcast. Adrian, what do you think? Yeah, like I've said in the past, I'm the bad North American of the group. Um, I used to follow the Montreal Impact extremely closely, and I just I fell off this season. Unfortunately, I wish that I watched them more because Wilfred Nancy is doing a great job. You know, this is one of the first times that Montreal, who I mean, there's still a chance they could make it. There's still a chance they could make it, but this is one of the first times where they've sort of ignored having a, a star signing. You know, whether it's a Drogba or having Thierry Henry as the coach, and it seemed to work out not too badly, but. If I am looking at who I think is going to take it, like you said, Seattle Sounders being the best run team in the league, I would have to agree with you there. And they just seem to they just seem to have that magic when it gets to the playoffs. So I'm I'm backing the Seattle Sounders to do it again this season. All right. That's a nice West East spread there. And we're gonna leave it at that. Thanks again for tuning into the show, guys. And we'll be back very shortly with another with another podcast. Until then, bye bye. 